Welcome to Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed, a bi-weekly podcast in collaboration with the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons, focusing on expert interviews that explore the insights, habits, and expertise of individuals both in and outside of medicine. My name is Dr. Kara King, and I am your host. Hope you all are having a fantastic week. The holiday season is finally upon us, which for most of us means a plethora of surgical cases to try and fit in before 2022. So I hope everyone is staying strong during these last few Few weeks before the hep ball drops. Now, I am really excited for our guest today, who is my good friend and colleague, Dr. Matthew Barker. Dr. Barker is a specialist in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery and currently practices in South Dakota. He's an amazing surgeon, physician, and surgical educator, and has taught me so much about how to run an efficient practice and especially how to incorporate and train advanced practice providers in really meaningful ways. Matthew is a kind of friend who can make me laugh just by his presence alone, which I think you'll see over the next few episodes. On part one of this two-part episode, we talk about how he incorporates APPs into his clinic as well as his operating room, how his mother inspired his advocacy for women, and the importance of connecting with our patients. We hope you enjoy. All right. I... I'm so excited to have my good friend, Matthew Barker, on our show today. Matthew, welcome to Unscrubbed. It is an honor to be here, Kara. And let me first start by saying how fortunate we are that you started this. And it couldn't have been better than anybody person with your surgical skill, your passion, your ability to converse with people and bring life back down to earth. You are loved by your patients your people that learn from you and your colleagues. And it is an honor, but I I just want to say thank you for doing these podcasts because I love them and I enjoy them. Matt, I did not think we were going to start out with that. That was so incredibly kind. Thank you. Uh, I I had to get that off my chest before the irreverence starts. And this thing uh, goes from being called unscrubbed (laughs) to calling break scrub because I'm that third year medical student that actually dropped something and went and picked it up when he was fully scrubbed and the surgeon's yelling at him, you got to get out of here. That's kind of how I feel on this show. Oh my God. I'm not going to lie. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. This is my wellness of the month. Break break scrub. I kind of like that name, Matt. <laughs> it's happened to me a few times. Like just touch the blue. Stop touching everything. Touch yourself or touch the blue. Uh, Well, I tell medical students, if you never touch anything blue throughout your whole career, including your blue scrubs and everyone in the room, you will have an illustrious career. True. Words of wisdom. Don't touch touch the blue. Dr. Barker, right here, coming coming from the man. Okay, my friend, I have a lot of things that I want to get into today. You are one of the most brilliant and efficient surgeons and clinicians that I know, truly. I, I don't know about that. Uh, I, I kind of feel like Tom Sawyer when he was painting the fence. I'm able to get other people to help me with my job. I mean, you know, it's funny you bring that up. You know, you make me think about when I interviewed at McGee. That is what they showed us. Ted Lee like showed like that painting that happened. So yeah, I, I think brilliant minds think like that. Don't know about that, but yes, uh, uh, try to. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think uh, efficiency is key, and especially this being a surgical podcast, I can't emphasize the importance of efficient movements, and that transcends not only to the operating room, but to your clinic. Exactly right. Exactly right. So where do I want to start? I think I want to start with your efficient clinic. I think I want to go there first. So you 
are known to, just like you said, really run an efficient clinic and you have a lot of help from advanced providers, right? Correct. And I really want to hear about many different aspects of this, meaning how many um, APPs do you currently have and how did you train them and how do you integrate them in a really meaningful and efficient way? Uh, well, I was fortunate when I got my first job here in South Dakota that they partnered me with an APP. And because I was the only provider in my clinic and my specialty, that's how they had done things. And as I grew the practice, I saw that there was many facets where they could be helping me go to the OR. So, I mean, the whole reason we're, we're all surgeons, we like to operate, but the whole reason we make a living and why hospitals and practices want us is because that's what we do and how can we do that the most. And what I saw was that there are certain non-surgical things in the clinic and that when I'm in the operating room and I have a first assistant, which is usually my APP because I don't have partners, I don't have fellows, I don't have residents. Uh, so I needed that extra hand in the OR that your clinic was just dead during the day. And that's crazy. This, this should be going all day long, five days a week. And I, I work for a great organization that was very supportive in understanding to expand that. And so I grew from one to two. And it's just kind of grown organically from there. No, it's it's so true that when you're when you're an OR, like like you said, nothing else is happening in the clinic, and patients need to be seen. So, talk to me about, yes, starting with how did you transition APPs from the clinic to the operating room? Yeah, and you got to remember, everyone I I've I've worked with all the different APPs over the years, or both nurse practitioners and physician assistants. Uh, I've I've kind of brought on, and it's been kind of training as we go. They had no expertise or background in this, and especially uh, I was a first year gynecologist in South Dakota, so uh, there was no no one knew what to expect. Um, and I basically treated them like how I would treat a, a resident on your service or a fellow on your service that here's how I do it, here's how I explain it and, and go. And then we developed a noon conference where that we started educating them, giving them articles, having them see, see things and kind of expand their independence and also kind of show that I engaged them and that I wanted them to engage the specialty so that they had some ownership of what they do. And you know, in our community, these people are, are, are subspecialists. They might not operate, but they have a great knowledge base. And so it's doing that. And, and I think anything you do, if you're passionate about what you do and, and you're engaging, everyone around you is going to like it. And I think that's a huge, huge thing. They don't work for me. They're not my employees. They're not my underlings. We are a team. And we have this thing where uh, in our clinic, we're always called Team Eurogyne. And <laughs> at Friday at 4.30, we're called Good Times in Eurogyne because we like to have fun. <laughs> I love this. I want to be. I want to work in your clinic as an APP. Bring me in, <laughs> would you? <laughs> Good times. Good times. Love it. So, in regard to procedure, like training your APPs to do procedures, talk me through like how how do you integrate them within that? Yeah. Well, it's interesting to listen to your podcast because everyone is so mentored in surgery, and we're we're defined by who we learn from. And I have seen a lot of great surgeons that have never had a fellowship, have never had residents. In fact, uh, you and I both train at Wisconsin, and one, one of the illustrious surgeons there, uh, I had worked with a great surgeon, one of my mentors, who, who passed away before I could work with him as a colleague. Uh, Dr. Bob George was just this amazing surgeon. And he had trained with uh, one of the people in Madison. And I went there, and as his SGS, and Tom Julian was there. And Tom Julian looks at me, and he's like, why are you learning here? 
I just go learn from Bob George. He's the best surgeon <laughs> I've ever seen. And th- wow. that was just like amazing. And I wish I had the knowledge base as a medical student to know what what great people I I was I was with. And so you know, when you're out by your by yourself, you, you know, I don't know if I'm good or bad or or what, but uh, I know I needed an extra hand in the OR. And uh, I want the same person there every time. And our system is kind of engaging the APPs to be with me is that that's my first assistant. And I kind of saw this with uh, orthopedists. When have you ever seen an orthopedist without an advanced practitioner with them? It doesn't exist. I'm like, well, why should they get everything? We're, we're, you know, it's all about equality now in surgery. That's what we're fighting for. And so I think if you're a new grad coming out, you you can't do your job, whether you're a MIG surgeon or you're an REI or uh, you're a gynecologist or even a, a human oncologist, it's, it's, it's a team. You should be paired with an APP. I, I, that is my, my, my belief, and, and I think your practice will be more successful, and that's what I would fight for. So don't know if I answered your question, but a little soliloquy here for a podcast is always uh, interesting. You know, that, that felt right, Matt. I really, I really like that. But things that I'm hearing you say is the importance of a team that is sustainable and regular. Like when you walk into the operating room, they know you, you know them. Everything runs so much more efficient when you have the same group of people. And like you said, I feel like so many other fields have APPs at right-hand man all the time where this is a really good tidbit for people who are graduating when they start looking at different jobs, things they should be looking for, asking for, or these type of resources. They... They should be asking for this, don't you think? Oh, hundred percent. I I don't think if you can start. I, I think it's a little harder if you're a larger group. But if you're a one, two person shop, your specialty, or your new grad going to a more rural community, yeah, definitely you need an APP. Uh, go into the. You know, I always see my patients before I operate on them, and I always walk into the preoperative area. And I'll see all the APPs of the orthopedic surgeons marking things, running back, going, and I'm just like, I'm going, hey, how you doing? And then those APPs for the orthopedic surgeons go into the room to make sure they have all the stuff, the reps there, all those things are set up. And that, that's kind of a nice team team approach. It maintains the efficiencies for the, the surgeon. And so my APPs are great at, if they'll go into a room, I'll always position my own patients, but they'll kind of say, hey, Dr. Barker's going to need this today for this case or what happened. So it's already planned out there. So you're not in the midst of your case asking for X, Y, Z. They got to run out. Again, it's that, that, that efficiency and that team, team approach. I love it. When you're in the operating room operating, talk to you about what's going on in your clinic. How many APPs are working in your clinic? What kind of support are they having? Do they have to call you out of the OR ever to help? What does that look like? Yeah, so... Um, I'm very fortunate because my operating room is just steps away from my clinic. And so I have one APP in the OR with me, helping me out, first assisting, and doing all, helping with orders, positioning, first assisting. And then I have two APPs in clinic. Some might be seeing new patients, following up on phone calls, seeing follow-up patients, seeing post-operative patients, and sometimes they'll do some procedures, whether it's uh, office procedures such as laser therapies or other things that they can do operatively, put in pessaries. I'm a urogynecologist, so uh, kind of bread and butter urogynecology stuff. And that goes five days a week, but uh, uh, when I'm in the clinic, then they're seeing all the follow-ups. And we do this like shared approach. So I have this like corridor. So there are two at a time we'll be seeing uh, follow-ups. I'll be seeing my news, doing cystoscopies, my office procedures, Botox. And then if there's a problem, I'll go in and see that patient as a shared visit. 
I want to tap into this exactly. So I have an I have a whole group of APPs here too, and I could not function without them. They are like my lifelines. We're trying to figure out how to do a really strong concurrent clinic together. And I'm I'm kind of fumbling in this area a little bit in regard to how do I book myself maximally and my APP maximally and also optimize the billing part of it. Right. So talk to me about what that looks like, I guess maybe from the from the billing aspect or how does that look with a shared visit? Well, unfortunately, the uh, which I think is unfair that this is all regards to Medicare billing is that APPs will bill out at eighty five percent of a Medicare reimbursement. So there, it's if you see a patient as a new versus your APP, they're only getting eighty five percent of what they can bill at, and I don't think this is ever going to change because of the limits on Medicare and trying to be budget neutral. Uh, I think it's unfair because I think they do a great job. I think their care is equivalent to physicians and they should be rightfully reimbursed because they're taking on the same risk. They have liability insurance. They have risk associated with them. But again, I, you might hear another surgeon worried about them stepping on our toes or doing during those things, but there's not enough urogynecologists in the world where we need their help. In your clinic, so doing the shared visit, if it's a really complicated patient, it takes a long time, you're billing on time, you can kind of go in there and talk about them and explain what your portion was and bill at the uh, level of you as the physician. But I think that helps. It streamlines patients. It, it provides more access to care, but it has a drawback where people want to see me or they don't want to see a, an APP. Uh, but I think if you explain to your patients and when they call and make them say, hey, we're a team, whether you're seeing my nurse or my scheduler or my front desk worker, me or my APPs, we are one person. We, we, we are, we're a team. And it's really explaining that to your patients, I think, is key to that being successful. It's a good point. Setting that expectation that it's not like you're all in silos. You guys are all in constant communication. And to be honest, I mean, if you have a shared visit where they're seeing your APP and you, that's more FaceTime of us, like as a group, right? Because you can't give every patient an hour and a half, but maybe if you, if you can give them 20 and your APP can give them 20 or 30, that's a, that's a longer visit. Yeah. I mean, I think for like the younger surgeons listening to this, we're all busy, we're running, we're, we talk a million miles a minute, we got things to do, we're staring at a computer screen. And I, I think engaging with the patients uh, will really help your patient satisfaction scores, sitting down, just shoot the breeze. Luckily, because I'm the only physician in my clinic and I know most of these patients, I have some connection with them and uh, my memory of esoteric things is amazing. My other memory is not. So I'll know weird things about my patients like, hey, how you doing? Or, you know, how is that, you know, <laughs> state line bar up there in Gary, South Dakota? I mean, I remember those things and they like that connection. And if people feel that, I, I think we got to step back and I know we want to be assertive and strong and busy surgeons, but we got to remember we're taking care of patients. And that was the reason I went into urogynecology. I, I love my older patients. They all got a story to tell. And if they could tell me about their bowel movements for a half hour, I will sit there and listen because it's entertaining. Oh my goodness. This is why I love you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, break scrub. Break, break scrub. Break scrub. Oh, geez. Break scrub. Exactly right. You've got some skid marks. Not going to lie. So, but but you, the points you're making are so important in that I think sometimes when we get in a busy clinic, we're just looking at these patients as a pathology. At least I'm guilty of this sometimes, right? They come in, I'm like, okay, she's a 20-week uterus, you know, like pathologies. But these people have stories, right? They have all this other experience. They have all these other emotions. And so being truly present with your patients, I think that really 
at least in my mind, also helps burnout for me, right? Just being present and like connecting on a different level. I think it's, it's beneficial for both sides. I know time can be an issue, but, but I still think it's important to keep in mind, just like you said. Yeah, and that's where if you work as a team and you see patients with your APPs, that 30-minute visit, you might have been in there for two minutes, but it feels like forever for those patients. You bring back a little connection. They understand the team purpose. It makes you more efficient, and you can see more people. And working with that, and we brought in uh, the, the health system I work for, a very med- medical group, Urogynecology, brought in this whole a lean system of how of management of scheduling and working through this maze of, of patients. So there are, there are definitely things we got to look at a process, just as we look at the a process of of things through the OR. How do we maintain getting patients into the OR? But through your clinic and and looking at the timing, scheduling all those things, and it's a constant work in progress. As I tell my my staff, we don't do anything right. We, we're constantly changing. And I might need to hear something from the front desk versus the APPs. But again, that team aspect makes it, makes it, makes it flow. And, and I have a lot of support. I mean, you got to have an engaged system. No one's going to give you three APPs, a bunch of nurses, a bunch of schedulers. You have to be busy. You have to have some financial aspect to know that that, that's, that can work. But I, I've been very well supported here. And because I'm the, there's not many of us, we're not, we're not fighting tooth and nail for, for patients. So true. We were talking about efficiency. I'm wondering, do you use a scribe at all? No, I use, uh, I don't want to put any, uh, I don't know the generic term, but I use a uh, kind of like an auto dictation system. Absolutely. Yeah. So it recognizes your voice and dictates it for you. Which is crazy because I'm trying really hard to speak slowly on this podcast, but normally I talk a mile a minute (laughs) and my mom was a speech pathologist and I mumble like a a terrible person. (laughs) I did not know your mom was a speech pathologist. Not for very long. She was a politician and her words came across much clearer in her political (laughs) views. I love it. Hey, I'm a fast talker too. It's all good. You can you can be free. You're in a safe place. Word. Yeah, I I just started using a scribe maybe like six ah, maybe like six to eight months ago. I have a virtual scribe, and it has absolutely changed my entire life. Like, yeah, I remember you telling me about this and that that aspect because I think a scribe it changes the ni- dynamic when you come in there with a bunch of people. So the fact that you can still have that personal uh, engagement. And, and document that is is huge. And so I think everybody's process is different. I don't have it figured out, but mine might not work for your clinic and right. your system that might work for mine and everyone's find, finding those things. But technology is so advanced now that I agree, like that type of scribe, or if they can put in orders, all the things that slow you down, yeah. those things are huge. Yeah, yeah. My scribe, her name is Jessica. I am in love with this woman and she preps all of my notes. So I walk in, all my notes are prepped. All the skin documents are like pulled in and, and then I'll, she does all of my orders. She writes all of my letters, like all my booking requests. And so to your point of like sitting down and connecting with my patients, it has completely changed the stress level of clinic where I go in and I don't even like open the computer. I just sit and have a conversation and it's, it's been magical. And I know a lot of people don't have that resource, but maybe worth looking into and and for at least for here at the clinic as long as i see like two patients more per day it it pays for itself so it's completely worth it and remember like the reason my clinic is efficient is we need to drive surgeries unfortunately covid had taught us if we're all seeing office patient visits it's hard to make a living and provide a lot of support staff for that type of practice 
So it's it's getting people to the operating room and getting people the help they need surgically is, is key for any clinical efficiency and following these those numbers are important. Okay, I want to switch gears a little bit and how you landed where you are. So you're in some Dakota. I am in the southern portion of Dakotas. Our territorial foe, North Dakota, we call South Canada, but we are friendly. But I am, uh, I am, I'm a South Dakota native. I came home. I am very indebted to the medical school that gave me the opportunity to be a doctor. And I came back here to teach and open my practice. And my parents are here. Uh, uh, my kids were born here. I am a, a South Dakotan tried and true. Uh, my wife is from Jamaica. So we are both from a third world country. <laughs> that was very good. Yeah, I'm from Boston. So I, I, I'm going to be honest, I've never been to any of the Dakotas or Southern Canada, as you mentioned. Well, you might be the only one right now because it seems like everyone's coming here. Despite our uh, COVID denials, uh, we're still uh, open for business. But I've lived here for many years. I've never seen this many people here, and I'm not sure why. And and I'm from here. Is it making you uncomfortable? Are you uncomfortable? A little this? bit. It's it's. I miss the small town flair, but I, I miss the, the you know the, the low crime, uh, the the going out to the country, that kind of smaller town nature. It's changing, but I think everyone's kind of facing that. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. So, but it's you... also made my surgery busier, and so people are uh, growing, and so it's good to be uh, in healthcare. And exactly, need a profession. So, when you were in medical school and residency, did you always know you were going to go back? I'm just thinking about the lens of you know fellows who are graduating or residents who are graduating, looking at academic versus private practice. Talk to me. Talk to talk to us about how you kind of sorted all that out. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many people are going to find my life interesting on a podcast. And we my do. friends that are listening to this probably are going to be, what the heck, Barker? <laughs> um, we love you, Barker. But, you know, I, I was doing all this training and I remember I was going to go to fellowship and I remember my attending saying, well, why, why are you wasting your time doing a fellowship? We've trained you to do everything. All right. And I understand that, but I, I really wanted to subspecialize. I liked women's health. It's been my passion. I, I, I had a wonderful dad who was a doctor and a gastroenterologist, but I didn't like internal medicine. I had a wonderful mom who was extremely passionate about women's reproductive rights, which are being threatened daily to this day. And she ingrained that kind of passion to fight for women. And the, the, the specialties kind of meshed with me. And then uh, I like my older patients. I just love vaginal surgery. It's my favorite thing to do in the world. And I, I, I heard about urogynecology from one of my fellow uh, mentors here in South Dakota. And then I knew that kind of that kind of planted the seed and I wanted to become a urogynecologist. And coming from South Dakota, we don't have a lot of resources. And I'm like, well, we don't have a urogynecologist in South Dakota. That would be something to bring back. Wow. But, but also, uh, when I was looking for a job, I'd, I'd been seven years of training. You know, I, I didn't want to be underneath somebody. I wanted to. St it was such a young field then. Most academic programs didn't have urogynecologists. I wanted to start something, and I looked at all the places for the most part, except for one, uh, were places where I could start my own division, and that's what I really wanted to do. And when I looked for a job in 2008, the world was changing. People worry about COVID and the end of the world of COVID, but we thought capitalism was done for in 2008. And so I wanted to come home and 
back to mummy. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> and just to weather the storm. But it was the best decision I ever made because it forced me to put put independence, become a, a independent surgeon, try things on my own, really forced me out of my shell. And if I that's my best advice for any young surgeons listening to this. And this is the advice my mentor, uh, Mickey Cram, gave me was that if you're going to do anything, go somewhere where you're busy from the get-go. That's when you learn everything. And he was so right. I love that. You know, the first few years out of training, it's straight up, right? Isn't it like the learning curve is straight up? Yeah. And uh, it's hard. And, and uh, I've been on call by myself for 12 years. There's not too many emergencies in this. And it took me a lot of years to adapt to that. But Tom Julian ever said, a surgeon that walks into the operating room is never afraid, shouldn't be operating. And to this day, I'm still afraid when I go into the OR. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. But I'm like, okay, if this is going to happen, you, I'm, I wouldn't say afraid, but you worry. And th- those little things in the back of your head. And when you're by yourself, to learn that independence, to be away knowing that a colorectal surgeon is not down the road or another OBGYN can run in the room is liberating, scary, but I, I think surgeons need, need that. But I do have a lot of great support. I have wonderful OBGYNs to work with. I have great G1 oncologists. I have a colorectal surgeon's great. All, all these people here that, that, that do support me. So I'm not too isolated, but for, for the most part, I, I don't have a partner to walk in and say, hey, what do you think about this? Right. And you know, you're making me feel better too when you said about, you know, when you're not nervous anymore, scared anymore, at least being, you know, appropriately cautious and you shouldn't be operating anymore. And I recently had one of a a newer fellow grad ask me, like, I'm so nervous when I go to the operating room, tell me this goes away. You know, and I'm like eight years out and I was like, no, like I'm still, I'm still nervous. And I think that's appropriate, right? Oh, oh, it is. And I mean, it's how, that's, I mean, I was listening to one of your your podcasts, uh, talking to uh, one of your colleagues from from Harvard about surgical coaching. All right, and and we always need that coaching. I thought that was a great podcast, by the way. I'm trying to learn things now later in life, so I'm taking piano lessons, but it's really so I can get my nine year old to go and do them too. Uh, and so I asked my piano teacher. I'm like, uh, you know, do you, how do, he's putting on this big thing. He wrote this music. It's a hundred pages of sheet music that he's memorized. He's going to perform it. I'm like. Do you have a coach? Mm. And he's like, uh, well, I send videos and I talk to my friends. And I think for the fellows listening to this, yeah, send videos to your colleagues, which is a great idea. Call people about it. You're, I'm not alone. I, I, one of my uh, best colleagues, he's probably one of the most notorious urogynecologists in the United States, if not the world. His name is Dr. John Aquino. And <laughs> he is an amazing individual, talented surgeon and answers my calls when I have questions. So having that that support there and that kind of mentorship or we share videos or those types of things, I don't know how I got sidebarred on that, but I just wanted to put a plug in for John Aquino. Oh my gosh. I, You and John together are like my dream boat. I love you two together. And I want to dive into that in a bit with your APP course. But you also took me right where I want to go in that, you know, you are by yourself pretty much. Like you said, talk to me about... Like, how anxiety provoking was that when you first started? And did that hinder you at all with pushing the envelope? Well, you got to remember, I came out in 2008, so I'd maybe done two, three, four, five, maybe nine robots with, with my attendings. We had done some laparoscopic sacrocopopexy. So that, that was really a challenge. And that really turned me on to videos. And uh, my mentors and 
residency, all these old VHS had a huge library. We'd watch videos, and I still to this day watch them, and and utilize that. And it kind of make you push. It it, it forced you to, to do those things. And another thing is having APPs or having students forces you to kind of stay up on on top of those things. But I like that challenge. It still makes it interesting. It still makes it hard. It still makes you want to do it. And then the repetition. So I write out all my steps of, of a surgery and I follow that. And I do the same thing over again. So it's just ingrained, ingrained, ingrained. And so when I take on a new process or a new procedure, I do the same thing. I, I write it out. I memorize it. I figure it out. I follow that. People might think I have a serious obsessive compulsive disorder, but it, it just helps that anxiety and helps you kind of understand that. So you know you're doing the right thing. Okay, if I'm not, if I'm missing this step, what do I do here? And uh, being by yourself, I, I think it's good to have colleagues. So I learned a lot from GYN oncology. I learned a lot from my colorectal surgeries. Learned a lot about flaps with working with our plastic surgeons. So it's kind of fun being by yourself like that to learn all yeah. those things. And you gain more from those than just another urogynecologist in your office. And and I think being open to those other areas, I think was is key. I love that. I don't know if I'm answering any of your questions. I'm just blabbing here. I, I'm, I'm so glad that people are going to enjoy this eight-hour podcast. Barker, you're killing it. I'm loving every <laughs> single second. You got little pearls of wisdom, little nuggets, man. So, well, I have, I've had 13 years and no one to tell them to. So uh, <laughs> I, I, hold on. Let me, the list is much longer. This is going to be a nine-part podcast, <laughs> yes. just so you know. <laughs> no, you're saying very important things. What I'm hearing you say is that when you do a new procedure, like when you're talking about writing it out or whatever your method is, what you're doing is you're building the scaffolding for yourself. So you don't have to make those synapses actually in the OR, right? You want your bandwidth to be in the OR doing things that maybe aren't things that deviate. You know what I mean? You don't want your synapses just to be like, what's the next step? You want to have all that mastered before you actually get into the operating room. That's what, that's what I'm hearing you say, right? Oh, 100%. And uh, in fact, one of my biggest pet peeves is when medical students come on my service and they don't read about the procedure before we do it. I mean, this is it's worthless then, all right? But also, I'm a big... I like to visualize. So before I go to bed at night, if I know I got a big heart case, big fistula or whatever it is, I like to just walk it through the steps before I go to bed and just kind of figure that out. Probably why I don't sleep well. But as surgeons, I think it's key. And and I teach this to medical students. And my, my other words of pearl, because if, if I'm going to operate on somebody, I, I hope the surgeon's worried about my case before he comes in. He's, he's got it all figured out or he or she. And then I call all my patients the Friday after my surgery. Just say, hey, how you doing? And I always thought, you know, if someone's going to put a knife on me, cut me open, close me back up, send me on my way, that person doesn't have the decency to know, hey, you doing okay? Yeah. Uh, I probably don't want them operating on me. I love that. Yeah, that's so important. You know, as surgeons, we're not just technicians. There's so much more to what we do. And uh, again, that is why you are one of the most empathetic physicians I know. I'm not just saying that, truly. No, I have my days. <laughs> we all do. We all do. <laughs> But you know, but you want people want to know about APPs, uh, building your team. I, I I don't want to just me kind of focus on these uh, the my my little pearls or uh, uh, how I manage my anxiety. I think there is is more to this, and 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 working with that team, and I'm very indebted to the APPs I work with, and it's been so fun to see them learn and process, challenge me, and engage this. 
and I, I think it's the future of all surgical specialties, but especially in urogynecology, because we have a wide assortment of non-surgical therapies that APPs can really broaden the scope of our practice, the reach of our practice. It's hard to train urogynecologists, you know, and this is such a huge problem, especially, you know, how, how is it possible that I'm the only urogynecologist uh, with a fellowship training in my state in over 13 years? I mean, it's crazy. That is, I does, that doesn't even make sense to me. That's true. No, I'm not hiring, but you're welcome to come. I was going to say, do you need a MIG stock? What are you doing out there? We do. I would love a MIG surgeon here. It's just ripe for this, this whole community. So you, you hear that, listen to the podcast, uh, give me a call. Call Dr. Barker. You could have some, what is it? Friday fun day? <laughs> 4.30 Friday fun day? <laughs> Good times in your gun. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. I just want to say one thing that you mentioned about people coming prepared to the operating room. I'm just going to circle back on that and that there's so many opportunities to be prepared for the operating room with video review, right? There's so many opportunities to, to review procedures and cases beforehand that I just had this conversation this past week that you can look up any procedure beforehand and that is going to build the scaffolding that when you go in the OR, you can take yourself up to the next level. So for all learners out there, just review the case. It's going to be so helpful when you get in the operating room. Okay. all for this episode of Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed. Join us next episode for more expert insights and perspectives. From all of us at the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons, thanks for listening.